our podcast, Pathways to Germany. My name is Brian Treneman. I am the director of the DAD Information Center in Malaysia. And with me is, like last week, our senior consultant, Itzai Didros. He is an alumnus from the University of Applied Sciences in Offenburg, where you it's um, studied process and environmental engineering. And um, you are um, a senior consultant with the DAD Information Center in uh, Malaysia now for how, how long? I think it was, uh, you started in 2018, didn't you? Yeah, it's 2018. So it's been, I think, starting from the 1st of June. So earlier this month, it's uh, been exactly three years now. Oh, fantastic. Wonderful. Okay. Um, could it's you... gone by really fast. Oh, yes, yes. Time, time <laughs> flies uh, in, in Malaysia um, specifically. Uh, without the seasons, actually, um, me coming from Germany, um, it's it's always amazing, actually, how how fast uh, time passes by here in Malaysia. Could you maybe explain uh, to our dear listeners uh, what the DAD is? All right. So the DAAD in German, that is the Deutsche Akademische Austauschdienst, which is a very nice German tongue twister. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you were to translate that one into English, it um, is a lot more easier to say it's the German Academic Exchange Service. Mm. So the DAAD, what our job really is, is to promote uh, higher education and also research in Germany. Mm -hmm. And we are also the largest scholarship provider in the world, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. So uh, the DAAD um, is uh, is an organization uh, more than 50 years old now um, and the biggest uh, funding organization for um, academic uh, mobility and also for funding uh, with uh, almost um, more than half a billion euros uh, of um, uh, annual budget in 2019, uh, sorry, 549 million euros it was in 2019. And as you mentioned, we are promoting study and research in Germany. It's why should anyone listen to us? Uh, that's a very good question, Brian. Why should anybody listen to us? Well, mm-hmm. besides our two very, very nice and calming voices, uh, I think we, <laughs> I think with our experience, uh, with my experience with uh, studying in Germany, and also your experience with uh, being a German living here in Malaysia, uh, I think we provide a very unique combination. Um, to provide students here in Malaysia with the best information about studying in Germany. And I was just thinking about it yesterday. So uh, there was a Formula One race uh, this weekend. Mm -hmm. And Brian, you provide the best amalgamation of what a successful team actually has. So you are half British Uh and you are half German and you're living in Malaysia, which is exactly what... uh, Petronas Mercedes Formula One team does. So they have a British driver driving a German car that's uh, sponsored by a huge uh, Malaysian company. Oh yeah, fantastic. You're right. We're like like uh, the Mercedes racing team, right? Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. How, how are they doing at the moment? I completely lost uh, touch with Formula One. Uh, how's, how's, uh, as of today, uh, the French Grand Prix just finished a couple of days ago, so they're not doing too well at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> but we are doing well, actually, yeah. um, as as this uh, multicultural international um, team providing information for our students uh, here in uh, Malaysia interested in studying in Germany or doing research in Germany. Um, you're absolutely right. We are... Um, um, a very good uh, combination of, of cultures um, and also expertise to provide the best information. But um, yeah, uh, coming back to, to Formula One, um, they have uh, already a long history of very successful um, seasons. Um, so I'm very sure that uh, if it's not going too well at the moment, they will be back uh, on track uh, towards victory um, very soon. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, um, so um, our podcast uh, is about um, providing you, dear listeners, uh, with information about uh, study and, and research in Germany. Uh, but we will also look into uh, what it's all about uh, to live in Germany and uh, what the German culture is is all about. And um, so, uh, therefore, um, uh, we would like to, I would like to uh, kick off uh, today's session, actually, with a uh, question to you. Um, uh, it's uh, about your personal experience living in Germany as a student, as I mentioned, in, in the city of uh, Offenbach, where you studied. Uh, um, um, Offenburg. <laughs> <laughs> that was again, Offenburg. Um, 
uh, where you um, uh, studied uh, process and environmental engineering at the University of Applied Sciences. Um, how did you come about as a student uh, in organizing your food? I know that uh, formulations, uh, makan makan is so important. Um, <laughs> so that might be um, providing a little bit of anxiety for um, uh, students who've never been um, abroad and might be wondering um, whether they can get their nazi lemak in Germany and uh, how they could survive on a daily basis uh, in terms of the food, whether they can find their Asian food in Germany? That's that's a very good question, Brian. Uh, as an Asian student studying in Germany, I was actually very happy because even in the small town of Offenburg, which I studied at, <laughs> uh, you actually... Uh, you can actually find like a small Asian store. So they have in almost every city that I've been to, they have these small Asian supermarkets. Well, not really a supermarket, more like a very small shop. And in these small grocery stores, uh, they actually sell nothing but Asian food. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about sambal paste. We're talking about uh, sometimes you can find pandan leaves. And if you're really lucky and if it's the right season, you can even find uh, frozen durian. Oh, wow. Which... Yeah. Uh, obviously is very pleasing to all of your neighbors in Germany once you open up that thing. <laughs> yeah, Ger Germany is not so um, familiar with durian, so therefore you won't find any um, signs uh, at hotel entrances that there are no durians allowed. So uh, this gives you a little bit more freedom actually in Germany as a tourist. You can always bring there, your durian was... to the hotel room, can't you? <laughs> <laughs> that was actually an interesting story from a few years ago, I think. Um, there was a durian which was being posted uh, via the German post office mm -hmm. and they actually had to close down that German post office because they thought that there was some biological warfare <laughs> going on and it was, they assumed it was a terrorist attack. So they actually had to close down the post office. Uh, frankly speaking, actually, for, for um, any uh, German or European who is not familiar with durian, uh, at, uh, in the beginning, it can really smell like a biological warfare. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. um, I have to admit, I, I got used to, to the smell very, very fast, but uh, the taste, I'm not there yet, I have to admit. I don't know about yourself, but uh, I, um, in some some aspects, I, I like to try everything here in Malaysia. But uh, durian, still not my cup of tea. I have to admit. <laughs> you're you're a big uh, durian lover. Very much, yes. My whole family. Oh, okay, oh, could, okay. Yeah, we go for the durian buffets and everything. Um, yeah, so that that's pretty much it with uh, exotic foods in Germany. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the very interesting things, though, as well, was uh, when I went off grocery shopping. Mm -hmm. Uh, when they sell their rice, especially if you go off to your typical German supermarket, they don't sell rice like they do here in Malaysia when it comes to those big plastic bags yeah. uh, full of rice. Uh, what they do in, uh, the, in the big supermarkets is they actually sell the rice in individualized small plastic bags. Okay. Because Germans don't own, uh, don't, they don't usually own rice cookers. Mm, yes, yes. So... Yeah, so you actually get these bags of uh, plastic bags of uh, rice. And what you do is you just take the whole plastic bag and you throw it into a hot, you know, um, pot of water. Mm -hmm. And the rice will cook in these plastic bags, mm -hmm. which was very odd at the beginning, but uh, somehow it works. <laughs> how's the taste com compared to the rice that you usually get here in Malaysia? Uh, not the same. <laughs> <laughs> It's not it's something different, completely huh? different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess uh, many factors actually uh, come together here. Maybe the the, um, the water um, it's not uh, prepared with uh, a rice cooker, and um, I suppose yeah, these uh, it's almost processed rice, isn't it? Uh, putting it in a plastic bag that you need to boil, so that's a completely different process, and and will for sure affect also the. Uh, the taste of of the rice yeah that's that's true uh, uh, definitely yeah um so you already um gave a hint that um you had to prepare your your own food so if you want to um, eat traditional uh, malaysian uh, food or the the regular uh, malaysian food then uh, you need to go to an asia store and uh, get all the groceries there um to cook for yourself no uh, malaysian restaurants uh, to be found in offenburg offenburg i don't know in Offenburg, no, unfortunately not. <laughs> uh, but there were actually a few Malaysian restaurants. I think in Frankfurt, there's one. Uh -huh. um, I know in Heidelberg, there was this uh, Malaysian couple that opened up their own little place. Okay. I'm not sure if it's still there anymore, but they, they you have maybe like five Malaysian restaurants uh, spread throughout the whole of Germany, probably. Mm. Uh, you're, it's a lot easier to find Thai food compared to Malaysian okay. food. Yeah. But 
you know, if you're missing that taste of tom yum, if you're missing the taste of green curry, just go off to the local Thai restaurant. And if you know the people who run it, and if you know that there really are Thai people running the kitchen, mm. you're guaranteed a, a pretty authentic tasting uh, Thai food. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, yeah, you can find Asian restaurants, but uh, not uh, Malaysian restaurants. Uh, I think there might be a better chance actually to find an Indonesian restaurant uh, in, uh, oh, in yeah. Germany. Um, but th- there's also another aspect I would like to touch here, um, which is um, I, I, when I came to Malaysia for the first time in 2006, I really enjoyed actually how easy it is to, to um, get food continuously 24-7 everywhere. Um, this is not the situation in, in Germany. Uh, restaurants are much more expensive due to the higher labor costs. And um, you, um, especially as a student, you are quite precautious um, and uh, prudent uh, with your spending. And you can't afford to, to go uh, to restaurants on a daily basis. So you really depend on either preparing your own food or going to, uh, to the men's of the university. Um, and oh, yes. speaking about the university's Mensa, um, the cafeteria over there, the centralized um, um, restaurants, uh, which is organized by the Studentenwerk, it's called. Um, how is the food over there? I, I honestly, I enjoyed the Mensa food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> A lot of people complain about it, especially the Germans. They tend to claim complain about it. But for, for a lot of my Malaysian colleagues and I, um, we, we loved it. Uh, there was something... It was it was super cheap. I think you could get a meal for like five euros sometimes, even less than that sometimes. And what was really great about the Mensa was, uh, especially if you're a Muslim student and you can't eat the non-halal meat, they always have a vegan or vegetarian option. So that vegetarian option, they had some of the best food. It was uh, the first time I tried um, this thing, this German dish called Käsespätzle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Käsespätzler is is like this uh, very easy German pasta dish with melted cheese on top with uh, onions as well, and I love that dish. Um, yeah, and yeah. also in addition to that, they also had something called um, baked camembert with Preiselbeeren, uh, mm. and <laughs> yeah, it's it's basically this baked cheese with uh, this breaded baked cheese served with. Um, that special jam on the side and it tasted uh, so good. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I, I really enjoyed the Mensa, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm totally with you. Um, I also made the experience that uh, students um, like to complain about the, the Mensa food, but there was, uh, to my experience, also no real reason to it because um, I studied in Cologne and uh, we had a huge Mensa and uh, the, the choice was just uh, mind-boggling. So you could choose anything from, from Western food to, to Asian food even um, and various dishes so if you could find anything there that that pleased you then then you were very then you're basically a very um spoiled brat and uh, hard to, to please and <laughs> it's your own fault that you that you are miserable actually fantastic so um yeah uh, uh, eating at the men's how much is it usually uh, a dish uh, a lunch um, at uh, the university i think it ranged uh, it was about five euros on average mm, mm. so not too bad yeah yeah so that which be- is roughly the cost of like a doner kebab if you wanted something with meat that mm-hmm. was halal and that, that included the drink so so roughly around 20 ringgit at the moment uh, i think yeah i think back then it did include one drink and also mm-hmm. included a little bit of dessert mm-hmm. uh, so the whole thing was about five euros and okay. um, they also mm-hmm. had like unlimited water fountains so you could always refill your drink uh, yeah. with water yeah yeah so um, the food at uh, at the, the men's at the university, of course, is um, subsidized and therefore it's offered to a, um, a much cheaper rate. Um, if you want to go to um, um, a restaurant, usually in, um, in Germany, and this is what, what I said, it's uh, quite pricely compared to here in uh, Malaysia, uh, you need to expect to pay around uh, 15, at least 15 to 20 a euro uh, per meal, I'd say. Uh, yeah. Mm, okay. Yeah. Fantastic. So it's very easy as a also as a Malaysian to to survive in in Germany. Uh, how about uh, halal food? Uh, for halal food, it's also very easy actually. Um, so every German city will have a kebab store. Uh, so if you're looking for like something that was meaty, that is which is also halal, you can always find those Turkish kebabs. Mm-hmm. And because the Turkish people have pretty much spread across almost every major city in Germany, it was also very easy to find halal butchers. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you could also find halal meat. And I remember that for Hari Raya, for example, every 
every Malaysian in my small town, so there were maybe about five of us, we'd each take turns making a special dish. And then, you know, if you wanted to do like rendang, beef rendang or chicken rendang, um, one of one person would just go off to the hall meat store and they would buy everything for everybody and then they would just disperse it once they got back to the student accommodations. So it was a very easy place to find. And mm. so even for myself, when I was doing my bachelor's degree, I was actually working part-time at a Thai restaurant. And that Thai restaurant, they didn't have any halal food. But what they said I could do was I could buy my halal chicken at the halal butcher mm-hmm. and I could give it to them. And then they would just cook it in whatever style I, I wanted oh, it in. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Very friendly people. Authentic Thai food with the best oh, Thai food that I could find in them. Yeah. But that was a privilege that you received as as an employee there. Not uh, that's not uh, the the, <laughs> that's, the, the, typi- the typical <laughs> service uh, provided to to any kind of uh, of uh, customer coming there, bringing in its own meat. No, there. no, definitely okay. not. Yeah. <laughs> but lovely, yeah, fantastic. How long have you been working there? I worked there for about six months. Okay. So I was yeah. really doing my bachelor thesis, and then um, no, I worked there for about a year actually. Okay. So six months doing my bachelor thesis, and then the following three to four months after I was done with the university. Oh, I see. And which uh, right now gives us also an opportunity to speak about being allowed to work on your on your student visa. How come uh, you uh, were um, allowed to work? Maybe you can elaborate a little bit about the regulations uh, when you when you are a student in Germany. Yes. All right. So as an international student in Germany, you are allowed to work compared to many other foreign countries which Malaysians tend to visit or tend to study in. So with Germany, you can actually work either 120 full days per year. So full days considered to be eight hours per day. Mm. Or you can work 240 half days per year. Mm. So a half day is considered to be something like a part-time job, Mm. like working at your student at at the cinema or working at uh, the post office or working at a Thai restaurant. So those are all considered to be those part-time jobs which you can work 240 days. but on top of that, I, I did many odd jobs in Germany. And one of them was actually working for that uh, Studentenwerk, which you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was actually working for something called uh, the ASTA, which is the Student Representative uh, Council. Mm-hmm. And uh, my job back then was pretty much administrative. So it was to give presentations to welcoming new students to the place and also handling up the organization of the first semester parties, which they used to have. Mm -hmm. And so for all of these jobs that you did for the university, you can work as many days, as many hours as you wanted to. Mm -hmm. And there's no limitation to that whatsoever. Mm, Okay, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Um, And uh, maybe one thing we we can also highlight at this uh, this, um, uh, this point is um, um, that your student visa not only allows you to um, uh, work during uh, your studies, um, you can also um, stay in Germany after graduation uh, for another 18 months and try to find um, um, employment uh, on your student visa. So you don't need to travel back to to, uh, Malaysia and then apply for a working permit, um, uh, but you can stay uh, directly in Germany and try to find um, a job. And if you um, manage to do so, then you can stay as long as you like. And <laughs> if you um, um, if you pay your taxes in Germany for um, and stay uh, for um, I think the minimum is five years uh, um, combined, um, then you can even apply for German citizenship. And uh, I think that's a great opportunity for everyone. Um, who is looking into um, making maybe also uh, not only studying abroad, but also making a career abroad. So Germany would be a perfect uh, starting point in this uh, matter. Lovely. Fantastic. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, maybe we can also, um, uh, we already discussed actually your, your life as students um, in, in Germany in terms of food and then also part-time working. Um, but maybe we can also uh, today look into um, how anyone who's interested in studying in Germany can find the right study course, can find the right university, and also maybe um, um, maybe you can also give some some hints on how to choose the right city, where to study. I mean, uh, we have so many choices. We're talking about um, four hundred uh, more than four hundred um, universities um, to choose from and twenty thousand study courses. So that can be a little bit overwhelming. So what would be your advice for anyone who's interested? in studying in Germany, how to go about with this? That's a good question, Brian. All right. So normally, I think most Malaysian students, uh, when they ask, when you ask them, okay, what do you want to study? They would usually turn to their parents and they would wait for the parents to answer for them. (laughs) (laughs) 
I know that's something very taboo in Germany where everybody's uh, very much uh, individualized and they have their own ideas of their future and what they want to do. Mm. And that's a type of mentality which we need to encourage, especially for Malaysian students who wish to study in Germany. Because once you get there, it's pretty much, you're pretty much all on your own and you have to figure out some things on your own two feet. So to get adjusted to that, you know, I think when you're a Malaysian student who wishes to study in Germany, first of all, you should start planning backwards. Okay, so what what do you envision for your future job? What what really drives you? You know, what's your passion? If it's engineering, then, the, you know, you can sprint and go off to almost any university in Germany and there's going to be some type of engineering course. Mm. Um, so the first step is really to locate, to identify what do you want to do in your future? And then once you've done that one, then we can start looking for the type of university you want to go to. Uh, there are two different types of German universities. So there's the universities of applied sciences, and then there's also the research or technical universities. And you really have to ask yourself, do you want to go more towards hands-on work after you've graduated? Or do you enjoy doing all of this research work? Do you enjoy writing research papers? Uh, would you also eventually want to do your doctorate in Germany? And you, what you can actually do is once you've figured out which field or which uh, type of work you want to do in the future, you can then see, okay, I actually want to do more hands-on work. So I'll aim towards the University of Applied Sciences. Mm -hmm. And both degrees that you get, whether it's master's or your bachelor's degree, if you do it at a University of Applied Sciences or if you do it at a technical or research university, they're both seen as the equivalent by the job market. Mm. So let's say that you do want to go off and get a job immediately after you've done your bachelor's degree. Um, the job market, your future employer, they'll take a look at your scores and they'll say, you know what, it doesn't matter which university you've actually done it at. Um, you, They're basically the same. Mm. So once you've identified, okay, do you want to do a research-based uh, course or do you want to do more of a hands-on based course? then we can actually advise you, okay, um, this is the website which you can actually be using. So there are two very good websites from the DAAD, uh, which help students decide which university, which course that they can go off to. Mm -hmm. uh, and those two websites, the first one is www.study-in-germany.de, or if you just Google search studyingermany.de. And the second website is www.daad.de slash IDP. So that's India, Denmark, Pakistan at the end, IDP. And this is for courses which are being conducted in English in Germany. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so very often when we go to education fairs or um, uh, when we uh, do one-on-one -on -one consultations with parents, uh, we also ask um, uh, what are the best universities in, in Germany and which universities to choose from. And we also ask actually um, uh, whether there are any Apex universities like here in Malaysia. So we have these uh, these Apex universities like University of Malay, um, Malaya, we have uh, USM, we have UKM, uh, UPM and uh, UTM. And um, we in Germany, we also have um, Apex universities, um, uh, currently uh, more than, than um, what is it, more than 10. And um, yes, they are excellent universities, have a very high reputation, uh, also with a strong impact in, in research uh, and a high reputation, especially in, in, in research around the world. And these universities also receive special funding for their research. And therefore, it's not necessary to choose uh, these universities when you go for your undergraduate studies. Um, because um, as it's already mentioned uh, in the beginning, um, as you mentioned, it's um, uh, for your bachelor's degree. Um, it doesn't really matter whether you go to to Apex University or not. Um, it may. Uh, it's definitely um, more relevant later on in your studies if you want to go for your master or your PhD. Um, if you want to focus on an academic career or um, if you are very interested in in research, then definitely you should look out for. Um, these apex universities but even then um, your main um, criteria for choosing the right university would be actually uh, what is uh, my my research topic all about and um, which uh, professor um, is very strong in in my particular field of research and by this um, 
should be uh, your um, your short list of uh, universities um, uh, governed and not by um, um, high um, names uh, of universities universities with a high reputation. So um, and especially not for undergraduate studies. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good. Okay. Um, do we also? I think we also get sometimes asked uh, about cities. Actually, which uh, would be a good city to to, to study in? Uh, what would be your recommend, uh, recommendation in this matter? Uh, <clears throat> well, which city to study in? I'm actually a bit biased in the sense because I was in the south of Germany <laughs> for such a long time, and the people in the south they have a very low opinion of people far up in the north. <laughs> um, so where most Malaysians are actually located, if you could draw a line across Germany from Aachen all the way across um, to uh, Frankfurt Oder, so mm-hmm. that's on the east on the on the east side of Germany, most Malaysians will actually be found in the south of Germany. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reason behind this is uh, historically speaking, uh, Mara used to send their students to the state of Bayern, mm-hmm. which is on the west side of Germany, mm-hmm. uh, southwest of Germany, and JPA would send their students to the state of Baden-Württemberg, mm-hmm. which is in the southwest of Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, that has changed now. I think now they send them off to the state of Nordrhein-Westfalen. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you actually drew Germany, if you actually had a map of Germany and you drew an L, uh, most Malaysian students would be found in that L shape. Mm-hmm. Uh, so on the west side of Germany and also in the south of Germany. And I think it's it's a really just fantastic place to stay. It's um, it's bordering the Netherlands, if especially if on your, on the west side of Germany. Mm-hmm. You also have the French as your as your neighbors, and you have uh, Liechtenstein also as your neighbors, and Belgium uh, on there as well. Mm-hmm. And by by going off to these cities, uh, which are close to neighboring countries, you also have this very international feel to them, mm-hmm. and uh, that also adds into the whole travel perspective as well. So on my end, uh, I'm a little bit biased, so I always tend to advise students to go towards the west side or towards the south of Germany. Mm, yes. Uh, but how about you, Brian? Where where do you advise students to go off to? <laughs> um, I wouldn't. Uh, yeah, definitely. I, I would also recommend the south of uh, Germany because uh, it's so beautiful. It's such a, a wonderful uh, region of uh, of Germany. Um, but of course, um, it's uh, everything. Uh, the decision should entirely be driven actually by uh, by the study course actually that you're interested in, and then um, you should try to find actually uh, the curriculum that is most suitable according to your interest. Because uh, universities they they all offer let's say mechanical engineering, all, all kinds of engineering um, subjects and all the other subjects. Um, but then you need to uh, make a shortlist and decide which university is the most suitable for you and if this happens then to be actually in the north or in the east uh, in the west or in the south um, let the content of uh, your study course decide first um, to really make sure that you uh, you make your study in Germany worthwhile for yourself and uh, for your academic advancements I'd say but in terms of um, quality of, of life and and also uh, the quality of your spare time uh, definitely the south um, is is absolutely stunning and, and beautiful um, but as you mentioned, I'm also biased actually because I've also been living in Karlsruhe <laughs> for a couple of years. Um, I'm from uh, Nordrhein-Westfalen um, originally, studied also in Cologne, so also a fantastic city. Um, and um, I'm uh, absolutely convinced that also the north has got uh, um, its own charms. I have many good friends actually from from the northern region, uh, fantastic people, and you also have fantastic universities there. And uh, the same uh, also is the, the case actually for, for the east of Germany, uh, all the um, um, states you will find on, on the east side of, of Germany. Uh, so really make your decision based on, um, on the perfect uh, study course um, in terms of the content and uh, the, the emphasis uh, the study course uh, provides in, in your studies and not so much on uh, which city is nice, which region is nice and so forth. <laughs> yeah. Good. Okay. Um, I think we are. We covered once again actually quite a lot today uh, concerning your your choices um, of uh, your your study courses, uh, the university, and also the um, um, the city, maybe um, yeah, even the region. Um, so uh, with this, we can come to our uh, rubric for today, our segment, fun facts about Germany. And for those uh, of you who are new to our uh, podcast, um, um, we challenge each other uh, every week. 
um, giving a statement and uh, the other one has to figure out whether the statement is true or false and then we elaborate a little bit about uh, the background of uh, the respective statement. So it's, would you like to go first or do you want me to go first? I think I went first last time, Brian. I'll give you the honors this time around. Okay, okay, good. Let me see how I can trick you into this one to give, to give <laughs> the wrong answer. Okay, uh, it's, it's quite challenging because you're so familiar with the German culture. Uh, let's see how it goes. Okay, here's the statement. Germany um, is, is a country, as you know, which is very liberal and um, respects the freedom of the individual. So in, in Germany, in the German culture, the individual is um, uh, very important um, and uh, also um, the liberty to, to make um, any kind of choices in your life based on uh, on your individual preferences. I mean, um, if you look at uh, the German culture now, uh, or the European or the Western culture in general, we also have uh, quite extensive uh, gender discussions at the moment, which I think for for uh, the Malaysian culture is a little bit odd to, to watch. But that's, that already indicates actually how much we treasure um, the uh, individual uh, freedom. And um, so my statement is, um, Germany has no legal say on on what babies can be named. So the parents are absolutely free to name uh, their their uh, sons or daughters um, in any way they like because uh, the German lawmakers really respect uh, the, the freedom of the individual. So it's entirely up to the parents to, to decide um, how they would like to name their, their babies. True or false? False. And I know the answer to that one. <laughs> Darn, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I have been coming up with a huge story now for 10 minutes and yeah, you, I know. you get, it, get it right immediately. Okay, why, why is it false? Oh, there's a, there's this very, it's a really weird German rule, I think, um, that your, your baby's name cannot be anything that is too strange or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's one of those things where German says, nope, we will cut down your individual rights mm-hmm. at this point here, but... For everything else is okay, except when it comes down to your baby's name or something. Yeah, that, that's absolutely correct. So um, uh, Germany is quite uh, restrictive in this matter. Um, uh, trying to to avoid that anyone gets bullied in, in their life, actually, for the stupid decisions that your your uh, stupid parents uh, <laughs> made, actually, way before you personally had had any saying in this. Um, so the, the names need to be uh, proper names. They need also... Um, um, they need to refer to preferably to a gender, and um, you cannot also name uh, use a family name as the first name. So it needs to be clearly distinguished. Oh. What is uh, what is the first name? What is the family name? And um, yeah, so um, Mercedes, for instance, is something that you can name uh, your daughter because it's a proper name. Uh, and um, uh, the reason why we have this uh, this famous car manufacturer nowadays is because it was named after the daughter of uh, Karl Benz, which uh, her name was Mercedes. And uh, mm. um, most likely because because uh, the car uh, manufacturer is so dominant in, in the culture that uh, people are a little bit hesitant to really name their their daughter than Mercedes, but you could in, in Germany, but you couldn't you couldn't name your your son or daughter uh, Nissan or Toyota or uh, <laughs> Volkswagen or any other other, other brands, uh, Chevrolet, uh, so to say. Um, but Mercedes would be would be possible. Do, do you know what the most popular names in twenty twenty were for boys or girls? Any idea? Any suggestions? Oh, I have for twenty twenty. Oh no, is it going to be something like something stupid like Corona or Corona or something like that, isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> Uh, you mean um, since since you have been conceived during the time of a pandemic, we will name you after it? <laughs> what a brilliant idea! No, no, it's not not Corona. So twenty twenty. Okay, thank God. Uh, let, let me let me tell you. No, no, um, and I'm very sure actually that the German lawmakers would also uh, make sure that nobody will name <laughs> name the, the child after the pandemic. Uh, so for girls, actually, the, the top three are Mia, Emilia, and Hannah. And for boys, mm. uh, it's Noah, Ben, and Matteo. So you see quite oh, a strong influence also of the Italian culture um, here. And uh, yeah, these these are the names. And every year, actually, we, we have uh, a top uh, 10 of the most popular names for, for girls and boys uh, because we also have the statistics and uh, everybody's registered in Germany. So we know um, how what the uh, majority of the parents name their 
boys and girls. Next oh. statement, up to you. Okay. All right, uh, Brian. So Oktoberfest, one of the very special German occasions, of mm-hmm. course. Uh, we're all very familiar with it. And it started roughly slightly more than 200 years ago in 1810. Mm-hmm. But what? why did it start? So what was the reason of the first Oktoberfest? Was it A, a wedding? B, was it a drinking competition? Or C, was it because of monks who had no clean water, so they had to drink their beer? <laughs> Fantastic. You, you came up really with beautiful, actually beautiful explanations to choose from. So thank you very much for giving me three, <laughs> three options here. Um, and <laughs> I think Germans would love the excuse that uh, the, the water is not uh, clean enough, so we all need to revert to, to beer. Uh, but that was not the reason. Um, nor is it, even though it's uh, um, seen nowadays actually as um, as the Oktoberfest as a beer festival, but that's uh, also not uh, the original reason. It was the wedding of... Um, oh, very good. <laughs> yes, Prince Leopold and what was her name? Uh, Elizabeth. Uh, Teresa. Teresa, Teresa, correct. Teresa, yes. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, called the uh, Wiesen, uh, colloquially amongst the locals there, mm-hmm. um, because the Wiesen is, uh, oh, what's a Wiesen? It's a um, field or something meadow, like that in German, meadow. isn't it? Meadow. Meadow, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the meadow is actually called uh, Theresa Wiesen. Mm-hmm. So this is where, where it so takes, it's named after the, takes place every year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And another thing that needs to be highlighted at this point is that it doesn't start in September, but already in October. So uh, um, if you don't uh, do your your homework properly and you want to go to Oktoberfest, so you might, uh, sorry, in, uh, uh, what was it? It starts in September and then goes into October. So uh, you need to make your homework in order to, um, to <laughs> not miss the beginning of the Oktoberfests. Okay, good. Um, right, 1-1. One, 1-1, one. <laughs> one, one, yes, tough battle. Uh, here's my statement for you. Okay, an average German household spends 32% on groceries and beverages. True or false? So an an average German household means uh, a couple with one or two or three children and um, they they have an average um, budget actually they uh, they can uh, spend and uh, for groceries uh, they usually spend uh, 32%. Spend 32% on groceries. Okay. I know that the biggest cost would normally probably go off to the rental price. That's correct. Uh-huh. Yes. Mm, but 32%, that's... Is that plausible? I'm going to say yes. Mm, okay. True. I, I know I'm 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 a I'm a very despicable character uh, tricking you once again, <laughs> but only the percentage is is, is wrong. It's not thirty two percent. So what do you think? Uh, how much could it be? Is it less or uh, or more? Hmm. Less. Correct. Okay. So oh, uh, okay. The, the right amount is twenty twenty four percent, and that translates to five hundred and twenty euro that uh, the average household. Um, has been spending for groceries in 2017. So this is um, the only number I could, uh, the latest number I could get. Um, the total amount of spending actually that this uh, average household um, had uh, was uh, a total of 3,483 euros. And you absolutely correctly stated that uh, the biggest chunk of the spending um, is uh, allocated to accommodation. So um, 1,142 euros is spent for uh, rent, um, energy, and also for maintenance. So not, um, almost a 1,000 euro for rent, 928 uh, euro, and then 180 euro for, for energy, meaning uh, usually heating and electricity. And then um, mm. um, on a monthly basis, uh, the Germans also spend 34 euro for, for maintenance. So um, keeping everything in in shape and um oh, let me just see uh, so everything um just just to give you an idea actually in, in ringgit the spending the monthly spending of this average family uh, translates to currently uh, 17000 uh, ringgit and for groceries 2500 but for um rent and energy uh, 5500 uh, ringgit just to give you an idea actually um what it costs to be a family um, in, in living in Germany and uh, with children, of course. 
It's quite a large sum if you convert it into ringgit. <laughs> but it sounds yeah, it sounds, also, sounds a lot. But of course, you you also have uh, a different um, you, average um, income per household, which is roughly around four thousand seven hundred uh, euro per month, which is almost something like twenty thousand ringgit now with the current yes, exchange exactly. rate. More, more than twenty thousand. Yeah. Yes, mm -hmm. more than yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. So you're leading this now two to one. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, so we're going to go with a neighbor from Germany right now. Uh, mm -hmm. The neighbor is going to be Austria, but mm -hmm. it has something to do with the German language. Mm -hmm. So Arnold Schwarzenegger, of course, the very famous actor. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger could not dub his own text into German for the t movie Terminator because A, was it due to scheduling conflicts? So this was back in the 1980s and his career was just starting to boom. Uh, was it B, because according to the Hollywood Voice Actors Guild, this prevents actors from doing their own dubbing service uh, because it infringes upon the rights of the voice actors? <laughs> or was it C, uh, was it because his accent was considered to be of a lower class of German, so something very much akin to... Uh, Bauer, Bauer Deutsch, or uh, farmer's uh, German. <laughs> fantastic. Three beautiful explanations and um, very hard. I, I do, seriously don't don't know what it was. So the first one said uh, you, you said was actually um, he, um, he didn't simply didn't have the time actually to to do his own dubbing, right? Yes. Mm, okay. Okay. And. Um, Second one, it would have inflicted uh, actually the the regulations for for the girls of of uh, actors who do the dubbing specifically and um, correct. Okay, and the third one, his his German definitely is is uh, horrible, um, like his English, and um, <laughs> but he's also very distinct, right? So this is uh, also the, the particular charm actually, and how he how he made it. Uh, one of the the many uh, aspects why he made it to, to such huge success and recognition. So um, um, I don't know. I don't know. I think I go with the B uh, because uh, the uh, I've, I've got uh, a hunch that the um, the Americans are quite protective when it comes to um, a uh, some some professions and they try to to uh, keep foreigners for a certain time out of it. Uh, no, it's actually C. Oh, C. His uh, German is too uh, was considered to be too low class or too oh, uh, uh, Bauerndeutsch. Yeah, yes. yeah, Bauerndeutsch. Bauer <laughs> Farmer, yeah, Farmer Deutsch. Yes, yes, yes. Kamp Farmer Kamp German. Kamp yeah, we could say Kampung German, right? <laughs> Kampung German. Yes, exactly. So like something like this. So once you learn the German language, even uh, what you notice that each state will have their own accent and each. Uh, part of that state might even have their own dialect mm. and uh, especially the part of Germany which I was in yeah. uh, I grew up to with very farmer German uh, mm -hmm. which is uh, I think uh, my ex-wife and her family and her grandmother they, they all spoke this very colloquial German and uh, it was considered to be not as high and standard as they do in the north of Germany um, so yes uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger was not allowed to do his own dubbing because yeah. he sounded too uh, low class. <laughs> Fantastic. Well done. Yeah, okay. So uh, we, we have uh, our current score is uh, two uh, to do. And uh, let's see whether whether I can still turn this around. Um, here's my statement. Um, okay. Only 5.7% of households uh, in Germany have three or more generations living under one roof. Is this number correct? Is it too high or too low? 5.7%. Five, only 5.7% 5 of households have three or more generations living under one roof. Three more generations living under one roof. Uh, I would say that's true. You would say that's true. Uh, what makes you think that, that this number could be correct? I think uh, it's it's a relatively low number compared mm -hmm. to us here in Malaysia, of mm -hmm. course. Mm -hmm. But I think Germans tend to be very independent, mm -hmm. and especially even the elders, they tend to be very independent. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that that sounds like an accurate number, mm -hmm. especially everybody living under one roof. You already mentioned something very important here, uh, that uh, the Germans uh, love their freedom and uh, love also their independence. They, they put a lot of um, emphasis um, on um, actually um, 
uh, determine uh, having um, the ability to, to determine the direction of their lives uh, starting from an early age um, and throughout their their life and uh, so this also translates actually to the um, age of retirement um, but the um, the statement is is false the percentage is oh. even lower <laughs> it's it's uh, oh wow it's <laughs> horrifying actually it's only 0.5 percent where you have a household with three or more generations living under one roof um I personally grew, grew up in, in such a household. We lived uh, in, in the house of my grandmother and uh, my parents both uh, um, working. Um, I really enjoyed that uh, my grandmother could uh, take care of us after we came back from school. Um, so uh, I grew up in a, in a three-generation household and uh, also uh, really enjoyed it. Um, but uh, that's the absolute exception in Germany. And... Um, hmm. um, and of course, it, it's not so much that uh, um, the Germans don't have any um, any uh, uh, strong feelings actually for for their parents, and uh, when they are retired, they don't care for them. It's rather that uh, the parents, uh, when they are grand, uh, grandparents, they want to maintain the freedom and want to stay in their own apartment, in their own house, or um, even go to a retirement um, home or folks home. Um, prefer to, to be independent and not to be a burden for, the, for their own children. And um, since uh, you um, have a very strong um, retirement scheme in, in Germany, uh, which you need to uh, pay into uh, during your working days, uh, you can also afford to uh, maintain your freedom. But it's not that uh, the families are not close. Usually they, they are uh, very often in, uh, living in the same city and they see each other regularly. Um, but they're not living uh, under one roof. So that's, uh, I would say, the, the main difference. Uh, while I'd say here in Malaysia, um, very often, actually, the, the parents depend on, on the children at a certain age uh, to also provide for them until, until they, uh, they part this world, right? That's true, Brian. Yeah, very true. That's really interesting mm -hmm. about Germany, yeah, 0.5%. Mm -hmm. hmm. Right, so you're leading now. <laughs> I'm leading, yes. It's all about the scores, isn't it? Yes, it's all about the scores. It's all about the scores. Good. Okay, your last statement, your last chance, actually. Okay. <clears throat> all right, so let's see if I can tie the game. Um, all right, so I'm going to read to you two German sentences. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm going to translate them into English as well. And you have to tell me what these two sentences were actually used for. And I'll give you multiple choice. All right. Mm -hmm. So, das Pferd frisst keinen Gurkensalat. And if I were to translate that into English, it means the horse doesn't eat any cucumber salad. Mm -hmm. And the second sentence is, die Sonne ist von Kupfer. So that means the sun is made out of copper. Never heard these two expressions in my life before. <laughs> Unbelievable. You did a very good uh, homework this time. Yeah. Uh -huh. All right, so A, this was a coded message used by the English to break the Enigma machine, or, uh -huh. to or was used by the Enigma machine by the British to break the German code okay. during World War II. Yeah. Uh, B, these were the first words spoken through a telephone. Or C, these were the last words of Albert Einstein. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think if if C would be the correct answer, um, uh, the family surrounding Albert Einstein, uh, while he was uttering these words, must have said, "Ah, oh, he's gone already." Such a pity. <laughs> 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 it would be would be such a strange way actually to to give <laughs> you farewell to this this world. <laughs> the sun is made of copper, and the the horse eats cucumber sellers. Uh, oh my goodness! It's no cu does not eat cucumber. Oh, it does not eat fiat. cucumber. Yeah, does what a strong statement, huh? The horse doesn't eat cucumber salad. Um, I think um, I'm going with uh, A, uh, break, um, cracking the uh, the Enigma um, code. You would think that, wouldn't you? Yes. Yes. Um, but it's actually B. Ah, it is. So this is actually something which I just found out. Uh, everybody in... North America, they're taught that the first person that came up with the telephone is Alexander Graham Bell. Mm -hmm. um, but actually, the first person that came up with 
the mechanism of the first telephone was a German fellow. I, I can't remember what his name was. But he wanted to make sure that the other person on the other side of the line had something very distinctive to hear. So mm-hmm. he came up with two sentences which made absolutely no sense. Yeah. So that the other person, once they heard it, they would know, okay, this is something very weird. And it, it oh, by only saying those two sentences, could he ascertain that they heard him correctly? Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. What yeah. a great story. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Ah, lovely. So we have a break even for today. That's the, yes, we do. <laughs> that's the most beautiful result we could we could ask for. Yeah, um, yeah. There are a couple of actually mis- misconceptions. Who came up with uh, with what in the first place? Um, and uh, ju- just one uh, another thing actually that also came came to my mind is actually um, the first person actually flying with uh, with wings. Actually, everybody is uh, considering actually that the Wright uh, brother Wrights were the ones who did it. Of course, they were the Wrights actually uh, uh, the ones who um, did a flight with um, a motorized plane. But mm-hmm. uh, the first one actually to um, to use um, a sort of a plane. Um, construction was Otto Lilienthal actually a couple of uh, years earlier uh, but it was only uh, gliding and that happened uh, actually in the state of uh, Hessen um, and uh, based on on, on uh, his uh, development of, of a plane actually of course the, the uh, brother Wrights could, could take it further and uh, then also make uh, the first motorized uh, flight oh, fantastic oh my goodness we learned so many things today <laughs> Such as that yeah. um, Arnold Schwarzenegger is, uh, has got such <laughs> a terrible German language. <laughs> he does, uh, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> he does, he does. No, but he's, yeah. he's an awesome guy. I mean, uh, look at his accomplishments. That's, that's really... Oh, yes, um, definitely. Something we can all adore. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, with this, uh, we can conclude our session for today. It was great speaking uh, to you once again, It's and um, yes. exchange ideas and, and speak about uh, studying in Germany um, and also telling each other with uh, our fun fact statements. Um, if you'd like to know uh, more um, about um, study and research in Germany, come to our website. Um, just Google DAD minus uh, Malaysia. And um, in addition to this, we also have uh, regular info sessions uh, for uh, those interested in um, pursuing a bachelor degree, master's degree, or doing uh, a PhD in in uh, Germany. You will find all this um, on our website in the segment of events where you can book one of these sessions. If this is not enough, you can also uh, book a one-on-one consultation session with uh, with us uh, through our website. We have an online form that you can uh, use in order to get in touch with us. Okay. And with this, I would like to thank you, It's once again for the lovely exchange. And uh, thank you all for listening and uh, hear you next week. Yeah. Thank you very much, Brian. And thank you for everybody who listened in. Have a great day. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.